Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Well, good morning, Imago Day. It's good to be with you today. Wow, I feel like I just putted like a really good putt. Um, which would be rare because I don't golf. But we, uh, we're in a series on the book of 1 John. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. We want to thank all of you who have been praying for our family uh, in this season. And uh, if you would like updates on kind of how things are going, there's a Facebook page that uh, they've created. I think there's a slide. You don't have to put it up. But it's on Facebook. So, you know, you'll find it. Um, but, but there's a lot of great stuff coming up. Uh, Advent starts in just a couple weeks, and so I'll be starting a series on the 29th uh, as we move into our Advent season, looking at kind of the generous love that God has given us in Christ. And it's really a great season for us at Imago as we uh, look at what it means to be kind of a countercultural witness uh, to the real story of Christmas. And so I hope you'll join us in, in all the things we have going for Advent. But as we uh, go through this series, uh, and, and we'll wrap it up next week, we, we come to this passage in John, 1 John 4, and it really is a passage dealing with what does authentic faith look like? What does it mean to be the kind of people who, um, who have a relationship with God that radically changes the kind of person we are in the world that, that would make the people of God a demonstration of his love in the world. And as we look out at the world, we see hate, we see violence, we see a lack of love. And, and, and there are violent Christians, violent Muslims, violent Buddhists, violent atheists, like people have hate in their heart and they're violent. It's not necessarily because of some ideology that they use to justify it. But there's hate for people even w within uh, the Christian ranks in terms of, it, it feels like there's these two camps. One would be the people who have everything figured out and they're completely right as one camp and that kind of justifies them hating other people. The other would be the people who have open the door to sort of believe anything you want and we hate anybody who claims to have truth. And both of those would kind of claim to have the real estate on the spiritual life. But the truth is that what First John kind of reveals to us that if we wanna know if we deeply have uh, gotten Jesus right, gotten our faith right, that there are aspects of it that are about truth and there are aspects of it that are about love but the main thing is about Jesus and I think for so many of us we we want to get polarized in one of these two worlds rather than having to deal with relationship with God and so what John does in this passage is he gives the people of God, the, this church, this group of really relatively new 
followers of Jesus, they, he gives them a test, essentially, to say, how do you know if you got Jesus right? And if you, if, if you really believe that, then he gives them a proof that kind of shows that you believed it right. And so today what I want to do as we go through this passage is I want you to apply this test and this proof to yourself, to your own relationship with God, to your own faith. I think it's really easy for us when we hear hard passages to think about the other person that you think needs to hear this, right? We're really good at that. Oh, I wish that person was here because they're horrible or, you know, whatever it is. And we just kind of bypass ourselves. But, but today is a test that First John sort of passes out to us uh, to, to examine, to hear, to look at our own faith story and let the words of Scripture kind of pull back the curtain on us and show us what we really believe and what's really going on. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, read along with me to yourselves. <laughs> mm, that's good. <laughs> okay, I'll read it. Uh, this is how we make you bring your Bible. Uh, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. And so what John is doing, he's writing to this church, and there are, there, there's a situation where other teachers are coming in and they're redefining who Jesus is for the people. They're, they're essentially saying that there was this man, Jesus of Nazareth, and the Christ, the Spirit of God, the Christ, set upon him during his earthly life and then left him. And so he wasn't fully God. And there's always sort of this variation of what's called Gnosticism that creeps into the church throughout the history of the church where people either deny the deity of Christ or they deny the humanity of Christ. And what John is saying is that to get Jesus right, he's calling the church to be discerning, to pay attention, to listen to the type of teaching and ideologies and philosophies and theologies that are floating around out there and make sure that you get Jesus right. I think for many of us, we, we tend to just sort of check out when it comes to actively paying attention to what's being taught or what's being said. Uh, the, we go apathetic. Apathetic is uh, two words put together, apathy and pathetic. It's really a tragic word, isn't it? Like nobody, not only are you pathetic, you are apathetic. And you're like, oh, that's nice. Um, but but he's, he's calling them to be discerning that any confidence that you can have in your faith can only come from getting Jesus right. And so he, 
he lands really hard on the fact that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's the son of God and he's the savior of the world. And as God revealed himself to us through Jesus, through the union of God and man together in one person, everything rises and falls on understanding the fullness and the beauty of who Jesus is. And the truth is there are many kind of words on the street about Jesus, there always has been. Anytime that we sort of hear some new teaching, we think it's fresh and exciting, uh, whether it's a, a complete universalism or some very specific, like only these people get into heaven. And, and the truth is those words have been on the street for 2,000 years. There's really nothing new about it. And yet I was talking to my friend the other day who I've known for years, and uh, he said, you know, I've come to this place where for me Jesus is just... He's a great teacher, he's a great dude, really enlightened. Like this is, this is 20 years of him wrestling with God and this is, his, this is where he comes to as if it's some new thing. And I'm like, well, people have been dealing with that you know, way back when. And, and the truth is Jesus isn't that good of a teacher if he spent most of his time lying about himself. Like that's not the sign of a good teacher. Right? If he didn't raise from the dead, but everything rises and falls on whether he does or not, that's not the sign of a good teacher. John calls those spirits of error or false prophets or antichrist. It essentially is saying that the people teaching these things, he uses the word spirit, their spirit in them is false. And I'm concerned about the climate of what Christianity is sort of becoming in our culture today, in, this, in Portland and beyond. Because there are many who call themselves followers of Jesus, but they would exchange the word on the street for the word of God in a heartbeat. That they quickly can walk away from what for 2,000 years has, has changed lives and has held the people of God together, which is the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. You get rid of that and you don't have anything. And yet in the name of enlightenment, and in, in the name of being like I've reached this new place of spirituality, you get rid of Jesus, which is the revelation of God. Now, the truth is if you go with the word on the street, the world will applaud you. And it'll sound great to everybody. But it won't work with God because God has revealed himself very specifically to us in the person of Christ. And so he says, be discerning, right? Teachers that deny the full deity or full humanity of Christ, John calls them false teachers. If we deny what the scripture teaches about Jesus, then we deny Jesus. Look at verse four. He says, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore they speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us 
But whoever's not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. And so the, the second thing he calls them to discern is to discern the, what the Holy Spirit confirms in them. The Holy Spirit will always confirm that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Those two things are never in contradiction. And so when you meet someone who says, you know, I used to believe this, but now I've, I've grown so close to God that I've sort of grown away from Jesus, because the spirit that's in me is calling me to this higher plane. Uh, we're really good with this sort of language. And, and the truth is the spirit of God will never deny the son of God. The spirit of Jesus will always affirm the person of Jesus and the truth about Jesus. And so if you find yourself leaning away from Christ and you're basing that on the Spirit's work inside you, John says that is not the Spirit of God. It is some other Spirit. And while other people may applaud you, before God, we stand in error. And so we're called to be discerning believers. That means whatever I teach, stuff you read, you're supposed to ask the question, is they, are they talking, are they teaching, are they uh, bearing witness to the genuine article, which is Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, the Savior of the world? And does the Spirit of God inside of me confirm this teaching of God? And so one of our main practices, one of our main rhythms as a church is that we would hear and obey the word and the spirit. The, the, the point of that is to continually bring ourselves before the scriptures and put ourselves under the authority of the revelation of who God is to us. And, and so you should be discerning at Imago too. You should be discerning any time you sit under teaching. And what happens is that this test of truth creates a sense of freedom. That you don't have to have a theology degree and you don't have to have some uber spiritual, overly enlightened kind of worldly thing. You just gotta get Jesus right. And Jesus was pretty clear about who he was and what he had come to do. What's beautiful about God is that when he speaks to us, he isn't vague. He doesn't come with some kind of like crossword puzzle that we're supposed to figure out. He speaks to us in the language of our own humanity because he speaks to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The test of truth allows us to put our security there, to own our faith in Jesus through the word and the spirit. Now, one of the big points that I think is important that we understand is that when John talks about belief, that, that word means something different to him than it does to us. For us, I think 
Belief tends to mean like, uh, I agree, I check a box, like thumbs up, thumbs down. And for him, faith meant knowing and knowing meant relationship. Not just knowing off the top of my head, but knowing in a relational sense. And so as we move into sort of what is the proof, he says the proof that we really believe Jesus is the son of God, the savior of the world, the proof is love. Here's what he says in verse seven. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him, and this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so if we truly believe that God loves us, John says that that love keeps capturing our hearts. It begin, we begin to fall in love with the people he loves. And so in one sense, this, this test and this proof are really clear. The proof of love shows if we've really put our faith in God's love. Or are we just simply checking a box and signing off on it? And it's a simple test, but it's profound and it's terrifying at parts because he says, if you have love for others, it means that you are born of God and you know God. And if you don't love others, then you don't know God. And then he backs up and he says, but let me show you real quickly who this God is. He says, God is love. Well, what is love? He says, well, love is, love is the fact that he first loved you. So when you think about love for God, it doesn't start with you. It starts with God who looked out over his creation, rebelling against him and says, but I love them. And in that love, he sends his one and only son into the world. This is where the truth of what he has just talked about come together. Jesus, the son of God, sent into the world to be the savior of the world, fully God and fully man, so that you and I could have life, eternal life. And it's not that we loved him, it's that he loved us, and he sent his son to atone for our sins. The word is propitiation, and it means paid in full all of our debt. He drank all of the wrath and anger that God had towards sin in his own death so that you and I could become children of God. That's love. And do you see how truth and love are tied together in 1 John? It's not simply a generic love in some kind of generic person. It's a specific love that is anchored in God's love that you've experienced, that you've tasted, that you've grasped, even if it's just by the coattail, that you know that love to some extent and that you're gonna to respond to that love 
by loving one another. And the reality is that can't happen because you check a box. It just isn't gonna show up in your life. It can only happen if we live into this love. And that's what he explains to us on what that looks like. Look at verse 11. He says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and we rely on the love that God has for them. God is love and whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. First John tells us that when we really believe two things happen, and the first is that we abide in the love of Jesus. And the second is that we love other people. And the word abide essentially shows up six times in this little paragraph. It's where he says, you live in, you remain in. It's this idea that your faith brings you into a relationship, not just an agreement about information. And that that relationship is a place where you live in love and therefore you live in God and God lives in you. That through Jesus, you and I live in this world like he did. In the world, we are like Jesus. Well, what was his life like? What did, what does his love look like? Well, the first thing is that it, it was for the Father that he was in love with the father and the father loved him and that relationship defined his whole being. He understood himself as the beloved son. He understood himself uh, to be the one that the father loved. And, and from there, he could turn around and give his life away to other people. Because his confidence, his security, uh, when people rejected him, all of that came from the fact that uh, he was okay because he, was, he knew who he was. He knew whose he was. That, that love relationship created a security that allowed him to give his life away, literally. It was a humble kind of thing. He could serve the least of these, even though he was the king of kings. Because that status, that idea of where do I fit in the social order, it didn't have any bearing on him because of the father's love. It was a broken love. Like in the world, Christ's heart broke a lot. 
I think for a lot of us, that's why when it comes to love, we just kind of step back. And go, I will, I'll check a box, I'll sign a doctrinal statement, like whatever you want. But relationship and love, those things freak me out. And primarily for most people, it's because you don't want your heart to get broken. But that's the nature of love, that it risks. And Jesus' heart was broken many, many times. And I've broken his heart many, many times. But he keeps coming after us. Because his love always goes first, right? That it's willing to risk, it's willing to step out. It's not waiting for, you, for love to come to him, but it's a love that moves towards other people. So you and I are invited into his relationship with the Father, through Jesus Christ, by the Spirit. That's, where, that's, that's what happens when we abide. That we don't just check boxes. We actually have a deepening faith and relationship with God. And then he says that, that part of this experience, part of this knowing, is that this kind of love casts out fear. That's a hard one because fear just shows up in our lives. Most of us encounter it several times a week, if not several times a day. It could be as simple as you know, looking at your bank account or as freaky as thinking you're gonna get mugged. And the truth is that, that when we, we go, well, how does this thing work? It's that these fears are real. People suffer. People are hurt, there's hate, there's violence. All those things that, that give us fear exist in the world and we're not supposed to just be fake about that. But there is a place for us that we can flee to God in the midst of our scariest moments and scariest times. And there is some encounter with his presence and his love for us where his peace does come into our hearts and comes into our lives. And fear continually comes back on us. It's not uh, a once and done, it's relentless. But there is a place where we cannot be overcome by it. Because fear doesn't have the final say. Jesus does. The one who became sin, became death, and conquered it. Who ascended to heaven and now lives reigning, constantly praying for us. Assuring us that we have his eternal life. Abiding in us by his spirit. There is something bigger than fear. And it's his love for you. And so the question is, yes, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God, the savior of the world, but do you believe that in a way that causes you to abide in his love, to live into that relationship? Or do you just check boxes? Like, yep, got it, got it, got it. And the proof of abiding love is that we demonstrate that love 
to other people. You, the beauty of it and what gives me confidence in it is that you cannot fake this. And, and what's interesting is that uh, I don't know if Jesus cares about all our little tiny doctrinal issues. What he cares about is your heart. What he cares about is if you really believe this and you enter into this relationship, it's gonna show up, love shows up in your life for other people. When we have love for other people in this growing sense, it creates a confidence that, that this really is happening. Jesus really is the source of love. He ends here in verse 19 with this just very, very strong kind of proof. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. One of the things that happens, I think, when we have a non-relational kind of faith, when we're just checking a box, is we hear these commands and the only resource we have to obey them is our own selves, right? And so then we just hear, oh, I gotta really try and love more. Well, that's trying to love more, that's a hard thing to do. Like, you don't just will yourself into love. It has to authentically come from some place. And, and, and what's beautiful about it, this test, this proof in one sense, is that the genuine article can just be totally discerned. He says, the minute that you tell me you love God, and yet you hate your brother or sister, you're a complete liar. Kind of strong. Like, let's say you were to go to some like coffee shop and they didn't put the right things on the cup that you used to like. And let's say you were to like make a video and be like, suck it, coffee shop place, because you hate God and I hate, you know? That sort of proves out that maybe that faith you have that results in hating somebody else because they didn't do whatever you want them to do, that might be questionable just a little. I'm not saying that kind of stuff happens. I'm saying. <laughs> what John's saying here is it's not a work. It's not a thing. It is a command to obey, but you obey it because it, it, it's like this. He says, if you say you love God, but when you look at this person, you hate him. You're lying because this person bears the image of God. And when you see him, you should be drawn to love of God because they bear the image of God. And yet when you see him, you're filled with hate. You can't possibly love God because when you see a hint of him, you're repulsed. You're lying, right? You're lying. If you fall in love with Jesus, you will fall in love with your brothers and sisters who bear his image. 
And God, in, in, in really a severe mercy, is relentless with saying, I want this to keep growing in you. Which means he is, will willingly break us at times. We'll, we'll soften those hard places in our hearts so that we see people differently. I was talking to a friend of mine this week and we were talking about you know, when our kids suffer, how hard that is. And what, what both of us realize is it makes us see people differently. It's not just a homeless person or just somebody you could drive by, but what if that was my son? What if that was my daughter? You see, and now all of a sudden when I see them, they're not just this repulsive person, but they're like, oh my gosh, there's a love that's just there. There's an empathy that's just there. There's a compassion. It's not something I worked for, but I saw them as God sees us. That's what it looks like. The answer is you fall in love with Jesus And when even the most fractured image of him in in the most broken person that exists in the world, they still reflect more beauty and possibility and love than a million sunsets in the eyes of God. If you fall in love with God, you fall in love with people who bear his image. And so you really can't Say, I love God, but I hate you. John just says, you're lying. And so if the test of truth is getting Jesus right, then the proof that we really believe in that Jesus is that we get love right. Love for God and love for people. And so as we wrap up, the question that I think we're left to wrestle with is, how, how did you do on the test? I mean, I, I don't think anybody here is going, I aced it. That was easy. The, the power of God's word that when we always come back to us is that it reveals the beauty of Jesus, but it simultaneously pulls back these like, huge steel doors that I hide behind, that I protect my heart with, and it reveals what a sham so much of our faith is. And that feels really bad. It feels like we all got Fs. But that's not really how the test works. Because the way that you pass the test isn't based on you. The way that you pass the test is you turn to Christ. He's the source of love. He's the place of relationship. He is the way of love for you and for other people. And so yes, we have work to do, but that work is to turn to him as the son of God and your savior. The work is to repent to him, to confess our lack of love for him and our lack of love for people. Our our, our work is to pray to him that he would give us an abiding faith in his love by the power of his spirit. Our work for him is that we would seek to see people as Christ. 
to seek Christ in the face of the people around us. And the reason that creates confidence is because it's not about some cheap grace and signing some statement, and it's also not about you performing your way into God's good graces. It's a confidence that comes from the fact that we're depending on Jesus Christ to meet us in his love and to live through us by his love to other people. And so today you are invited to do those things, right? In a sense to come forward and pass in your test. It's walking up to a table that says this is love. God's body broken for you, Christ's blood poured out for you. This is love that loved you before you loved him. And our job is to receive it, right? To confess our sin, to receive his love, to receive his mercy. And to turn for him, to him and ask him to fill our hearts with his life and his love. That he would empower us to see our brothers and sisters as his image bearers. And we would love them because we love him. This is a time for you and I to come to a table of grace and of love and of mercy and of transformation. And my prayer is that we would have the courage to really take Jesus seriously. Because there's so much life that is offered to you today through him. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask today that you would meet us in this place and that Jesus, you as the living and reigning Son of God and our Savior, would show up in our deep need, our deep dependence. And you would hear our prayers, which is a prayer that we find in scripture, which is simply, I believe God, but help my unbelief. That we would be your people who abide deeply in your love and love one another as you have loved us. We pray in your name. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amagodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.